This podcast today is with Steve Barber of Upstream Data, Marty Bent of uh, a number of different things, but relevant to this discussion today, uh, Great American Mining. And uh, it's going to be a discussion probably about a lot of stuff, but hopefully we touch on uh, Bitcoin mining and the legacy energy infrastructure and system as part of that. But before we do, uh, Scott Sibley is here to shill his uh, Bitcoin project. Scott, why don't you, you hit us with the spiel? Perfect. Well, thanks, John, and, and thanks for everybody else for having me on to start this show. So a few months ago, I launched a Bitcoin card game called Shamari. So take a look at it right here. Um, the purpose of it really was to try to find a way to uh, start embedding myself in the community and really give back uh, through an educational type product. So the purpose of the game is really to create a like low stakes, barrier to entry way to have young kids and old adults play something around Bitcoin. Um, the way the game's played, it really focuses around mining. So that's where the game name comes from, a mixture of uh, SHA-256 and the game of memory. Um, and being able to use that kind of concept to play a fun game takes, you know, 10 or so minutes to, to create a blockchain. Um, there's blockchains, there's attacks, there's difficulty adjustments all through uh, different cards with fun characters on it um, and a nice dice and, and be able to go out and, and play that. And uh, excited to, to have the, uh, the feedback I've had over these past few months from both adults and especially the parents um, that have been playing with their kids. So is the idea to teach people how Bitcoin mining works? Is that the idea? That would be kind of almost secondary. Really, the first idea is just to bring awareness. So I have a, a background in ed tech um, and a product that we work on around just bringing awareness to career exploration. And so I saw the value in that and just low stakes, learn what the word Bitcoin is, learn the, t the terms around an attack, a blockchain as something that, you know, as long as a five-year-old can come in here and just putting it in the back of their head. Um, so that maybe whether it's five months from now or five years from now, they remember that that was part of their uh, their concept growing up that they became aware of. That's really the baseline that I was going for. Interesting. And do you get uh, to, do you get to reorg people out of existence? Is that what <laughs> <laughs> you get reorg out of existence, but you can, uh, there are those difficulty adjustments in there that you can start layering in. And actually one of the fun byproducts that I've heard from parents is how, um, kids who are hyper competitive after they played it once. And let's say they ended up with four rewards at the end and their sister got five and they felt like they lost the second time they played, they realized, wait a minute, we're all in this together. We're trying to mine this blockchain before it gets attacked. And if we do that, we all win something. And then the parents have actually been correlating it back to, okay, this block reward is works worth X amount of dollars and trying to kind of bring that life cycle into play there too. So it's been a fun learning experience for me. Has it been effective at red pilling youngsters and their parents alike? I think so. I mean, like it really from the, uh, the parents, I, I'm sure it's been out there. I think so many of the purchases so far have been people who have been red pilled already. Uh, so they're probably playing with their friends, but I've definitely heard people saying, I've had multiple people say, Hey, I was upstairs in the office and I heard my kids chanting Bitcoin and I came downstairs and they were just sitting there playing the game, which I think is the, probably the biggest pill you could give them. The stuff, of, the stuff of dreams to hear your kids chanting Bitcoin upstairs. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm no, no joke. I've heard that multiple times from parents. So it, it's cool to see. Cool. Um, if people want more information or to, to go to the website and check it out, what, uh, where should they go? Yep. So the website is just shamari.com. Uh, so they can find that there. Feel free to, to order all they want. I did make a, a promo code for any of your listeners. So if they drop in rapid fire 10, um, they'll get 10% off. So feel free to use that. Uh, Twitter is the most active spot outside of that. So play Shamari is the handle uh, or myself, Scott M. Sibley. And I'm happy to engage uh, in any of those forms to, to hear feedback, suggestions, and, and ideas. Awesome, man. Well, look, I'm, uh, I'm 
really eagerly awaiting my uh, my order so I can play with some family members or any other uh, enthusiasts that are willing to play such a game with me. But uh, thanks for coming on and explaining it a bit and uh, best of luck. Perfect. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy listening to the, uh, the rest of the show. All right. See you, brother. Take care. See you later. Bye. Peace, Scott. Bye. All right. So guys, I, I know a lot of listeners will probably be familiar with the two of you, but for those uh, that aren't, why don't we just uh, get the the normal intros out of the way. Marty, why don't you kick it off first? Yeah. So I'm Marty Bent. I write a daily newsletter about Bitcoin. Marty's Bent and host a podcast, Tales from the Crypt. We have an interview series and a weekly news show and rabbit hole recap that I co-host with Matt O'Dell. Matt joins me in the interview sometimes as well. And then the reason I'm here today is uh, my work at Great American Mining. I lead up business development efforts. I guess you could say there's no real title, but uh, I'm just trying to spread the word and make connections in Great American Mining. We are focused on bringing hash rate to the United States. And uh, the way we do that is by uh, using waste gas and oil fields uh, or midstream providers to, to um, mine Bitcoin. Cool. Yeah, I'm Steve Barber, uh, engineer by background, uh, owner of Upstream Data. Uh, similar to GAM, we basically are supplier for Bitcoin mining data centers and gen sets, depending on the case, uh, for oil field. So I've been doing it for a while and uh, slowly growing and getting more traction. So it's a fun industry to be in. Nice. You know, the, the Bitcoin and the, the confluence uh, of Bitcoin and the unique solutions that it provides to the energy industry is I think one of the most exciting things that's going on. Like we all love price action. It's great when, you know, public company announces they're buying Bitcoin, but in terms of like really creating effectively a new industry, uh, what you guys are up to is super exciting and it ticks all the feel good boxes, right? Like it's good for the environment. It's, it, it makes financial sense. It, you know, will probably have a dramatic impact on our energy industry over time, a good one. So um, I just wanted to get you guys together today to like, kind of give me a state of the union, like what's going on uh, with both your respective companies, but also the industry. What are, what are the legacy people that you guys are talking to? What, what kind of things are they saying? How, you know, you've been working with some for a while now, I, I assume, like once they've seen some results, are they just like, you know, do they want to hook up more wells or whatever that they have? Like, I just want to dig into that. So uh, Marty, why don't, all right, Steve, why don't you, I'm seeing your video right now on my screen. So why don't you go first and just giving us a, a state of the union. You've been at it for a few years now. Uh, things have been snowballing, I guess. Like probably the best story I have is uh, relating to like how, you know, pr oil producers have sort of about turned on this is, you know, the first site I was on, um, it was actually, actually the second site I was on the first site when I built my prototype in 2017, um, I went on this one site, it was sort of a friend of a friend site. They lost their gas. And then my partner, my business partner, his neighbor was also worked for, uh, an oil producer. Uh, they had, they, they're a big company. Like they're not like in, in major, but they're like a medium sized publicly traded oil company, like pretty big deal. And so my neighbor worked for them and he's more of a cowboy like me. Like he thought it was a great idea. He didn't really get Bitcoin, but he's like, okay, you'll put this rig on our site. Uh, it's going to be pretty low overhead, low cost. It's going to help this problem. Cause he's, he was already looking at like putting a gas compressor on the site and tying a pipeline into the, the next lease over. So that's like the traditional solution, right? For conserving the gas. 
Um, but it's expensive. You got to, you need a big compressor skid and you need to build a pipeline, which is sunk cost. But the nice part about this story was like, I, he was gung ho for it. We, we did the deal. It was like a cowboy deal. Uh, there was no paperwork done. Uh, I just picked it up one day, moved it over, had it set up within a couple hours, like plumbed in running and it solved this problem. It was perfect. He was loving it. But then what happened was his management caught wind of it. Right. And publicly traded company, this was 2017. Okay. Like this was, this was, uh, sorry, uh, this was early 2018 when this happened. I had built it and deployed it first in 2017, but I moved it in early 2018. So the bull run had just come and gone. And I was out at this point knocking on oil producers doors, like trying to see if like, like, come on, like, what do you think of this and stuff? Like, and that's where I come from as oil patch. So had a lot of contacts to go uh, chat with. But at least uh, these guys didn't go through didn't go through the proper approval processes, and that maybe pissed off management. Anyway, uh, they they ended up not liking what was happening because they weren't sure what like their shareholders would think like of this whole Bitcoin thing. They didn't they didn't they sort of thought that they were giving their gas away for free. Like they thought they I should be paying them a bunch of money for it, which I wasn't. I was just getting at that time. I was just I was just burning it for them. Like it was just a free disposal option for them. Anyway, uh, they, they wanted to make, charge me a bunch and do, do all this stuff. So I just said, all right, screw it. I'm just leaving. So I went to a new site and about a year later, like a year and a half later, they finally called me up and now they're my best customer. We have like, uh, about a half dozen units like running for them right now. They bought a bunch. I got some out there just running with them. So in that time, uh, something switched in, in upper management where they started to, I think part of it was, well, they realized like, well, that guy was actually doing us a pretty valuable service at that time because they ended up going and buying a compressor and putting in a pipeline. And as, as anyone in oil field knows, like these, a lot of these upstream wells, they, well, all kinds of things can happen. They deplete obviously, but they could have like catastrophic events. Like they water out and they just stop being productive. So you sink all this money into this stuff and it's just like super expensive. And uh, so, yeah, the, now they're the best customer we have. So like, the, a lot of that was, had to do with, well, one, it took them time to see that, okay, there's actually a value proposition here aside from buying the equipment and like earning money itself. It's actually solving a problem. It took them a while to sort of like that to click, I guess, in the entire, for the entire company. And, uh, and the other thing is this, I think the whole credibility story, like the more, the more we hear stories like this micro strategy, which is quite a big deal, I think. And all the other things we see on a day-to-day basis, just the little things that, uh, like more and more people adopting it, all the, all the good news stories in this space, like it adds up and it, it boosts the credibility. And that's the kind of thing that I think really changes the mind of these guys. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been really good for us. Like we slowly, but surely getting more and more stuff out there. Yeah. And I probably should have, uh, got you to start this off because I just assume a lot of people listening will know exactly what it is you guys are doing but for those that are coming at this for the first time can you just explain what it is the product and service that you provide to these oil fields is yeah we just uh we're all just basically putting natural gas gen sets like power some generating power off the natural gas which is you know a portable piece of equipment um and then sending that electricity or consuming that electricity with a bitcoin mining data center so it's just all like you know it there's different products like Marty's got a, a different container than we build. We build different things and there's other guys out there building stuff, 
but it's all about modular portable um, ability to, I call them like portable. When I'm talking to a new producer, I describe them as like a portable sales point for your gas. You can just sell the gas like right where it is, or, or depending on the conversation, if we're marketing it as a conservation option, like, okay, you can conserve your gas and then you're, you don't have to pay carbon tax or whatever the deal is. Um, different ways to describe it, but. And how's COVID situation affected you guys, like this industry and this work? Because uh, am I right in assuming that some wells and sites would have been closed for a period of time due to COVID? Yeah. Um, so COVID, obviously, with the shutdown of the economies is <clears throat> decreased uh, demand for for oil and gas <laughs> considerably, uh, or at least did for, for a time period. So a lot of wells are very... Um, or all wells are very uh, revenue conscious and profit conscious. And as soon as oil dips below a certain price, they have to shut in wells. And that happened in March when you had the one month forward contract trading, uh, or futures contract, excuse me, trading in negative territory. Um, so since then, I think that, especially here in the United States, um, with the shale play, it woke a lot of producers up to, well, like we've got to explore other options of how to be more profitable and, um, and explore other revenue streams. So I think for us at Great American Mining, that's when we started to see a, a lot more interest, particularly after that in, in March. And uh, people have been much more open to conversations since then. And it's been like, it's been a double-edged sword, or it's been it, it's been negative, let's say for my business, in, in, in a lot of cases where we're on oil wells, it was negative because they shut in those wells temporarily because they weren't making any money. So then the gas is shut in. So I had a period of downtime for some of our rigs and then some of the, some of the rigs I'm hosting for third parties. Uh, we got through all that and we got everything back up and running, but it's also, there's positives too. Cause um, like, for example, we did, we finally did one site uh, where, cause what happens is like, especially when in a lot of cases too, like the upstream oil wells are still profitable. They kept them running, but then the downstream infrastructure for various reasons wasn't. And so they'd shut that in. In one site, uh, they had a pretty low OPEX oil well that they would have kept running. Um, but the downstream takeaway, which was the, it was tied in, like it had a pipeline for the gas, but the downstream gas infrastructure, because it, it was, I guess, uh, there was a lot of gas being produced, they just shut it in. And so this well became stranded. And so if they didn't uh, get it back online within a certain time frame the mineral lease would expire because you have to, depending every, every mineral, mineral lease agreement can be different, but like generally you have to keep it productive. Like you have to keep producing. And if you don't, uh, it can go up for expiry and it can go back depending on like if you're in Canada or the U S but in Canada, it can go back out for public auction and stuff like that. So they, it would have been extremely costly if like we didn't have a solution for them, which is like, okay, we'll bring our equipment on your site. It's a portable sales point And, gets rid of their gas vent problem at that time and they get started up the well again. So it was like, there was bad, there was definitely a net negative for us, I would say. And then of course no one has any money and no one wants to spend any money when things are crazy like this. So like we're not selling as much data centers, like, so sales slowed down, but then there was some upside too. Like there was some new use cases that we were, we got to explore. Yeah. We're, we're lucky at GAM that, we, I mean, we, so we launched our first deployment last December and before we scale up considerably, we, we just wanted to have some live data for a considerable amount of time to be confident that we could scale running all these containers remotely. 
Um, so we found ourselves in a position where we're still in like the data gathering uh, uh, sort of uh, stage of our operation. And we actually, we learned a really a hard lesson, but a good lesson to learn at our uh, point of operation, which is like Steve was alluding to there, like who has the rights to the minerals and where you are. So we, we were uh, on a well pad that didn't get shut in, but um, because other well pads around the one that we were on got shut in the, uh, the pipeline uh, of gas wound up getting more capacity. And so the, the pipeline had more capacity and we were using gas so they had the rights to call on. So they came and said, Hey, we have more capacity in our pipeline. We're going to call on these rights. You guys can't consume this anymore. Um, so we wound up getting kicked off that well pad, but it also allowed us to test out the portability of our machines. We were able to actually find uh, a midstream provider only 40 miles down the road who was looking to offload some gas and unplug and, and move within a day and have everything up and running. So we learned that our containers are portable and then uh, more dynamics with the, the mineral rights owners and the pipelines and that whole interaction and refining. It's very nuanced depending on what state you're in. Yeah. Steve, are you at liberty to share what some of those new uh, rev streams or use cases that you discovered were? Well, the one I was referring to, like, there's been like maybe four or five applications I've really promoted since the start. Like, I mean, my background is oil and gas facilities. So like these were things that immediately I was like, oh, this Bitcoin mining thing really helps. Right. Obviously flaring, like that's the super popular one. Venting as well. That's most of our applications are actually vented. Uh, gas because those well in Canada it's a bit different venting's allowed in Canada to some degree and it's worse for the environment and there's regulations around it so it, it's a really good fit for Bitcoin mining um, but then like the other ones I've been trying to get into um, over the last few years were like well mineral rights expiries like using these little portable units like even one little engine that we build like we build these small 50 kilowatt packages you could pick that up and if an oil producer owns like just one unit you can just use that as your portable sales point, right? Pick it up, drop it wherever you want, when you need it to keep your mineral rights active. Um, and so I, now that I actually got one done, that's what I find producers often need is someone to show them like, okay, this is a case study, like this happened. And then they, if they need to talk to the people, they can call them up and say like, was this a good solution? So it was good to get that. And that that's what COVID sort of forced upon this producer was a situation which, you know, we could alleviate that problem. But then there's other ones like, you know, um, when you drill a new pad, for example, um, you might be drilling a pad site, you might have a plan to get rid of the gas, you're gonna put the pipeline in, sell it to the midstream company. But sometimes, uh, and this is obviously a huge problem in Texas and the area, uh, like you're in, you're in Texas, right, Marty? We're, we're exploring, we have to uh, confirm some immersion designs first, but yeah, we're talking. Or were you in North Dakota or what? We're in North Dakota. Oh, okay. We're, all of our live deployments are in North Dakota right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. So like a lot of, even on these like shale pads, like sometimes they don't budget for the right amount of gas that comes in or whatever. Like someone makes an error or, or it comes on stronger or schedules change and you end up having bottleneck pipelines. So I guess in, it sounds like Marty in your first case, like the, the producer, the pipeline was originally bottlenecked, but then due to what happened, it was not bottlenecked anymore. Capacity opened up, right? Yes. Yeah. So like, so basically Marty's application is sounds like one where he was, well, he could have a uh, bottleneck the pipeline. If you put enough units on a, on a pipeline that's constrained on volume, you can start 
and you do it upstream of the pipeline, of course, like Marty was doing, but you, you reduce the amount of throughput that that needs to go through that pipeline. So, you know, pipeline debottlenecking um, is another one. And then of course, one that I haven't personally gotten much traction with yet, that is just a no brainer. And a lot of, and I've had a lot of conversations with, with like midstream companies on this. And I know a lot of guys have, cause, uh, we've had guys come to us for quotes and they're getting competitive quotes, but like when you're on a midstream gas plant or something, often you have like a gen set running your plant. Like you often that is the case. Um, and sometimes you even have a redundant gen set. you'll have a backup. And you know, when you have these power plants that are either underloaded or idle, like just sitting, doing nothing, like that's most of the battle is won, right? You have the fuel source, you have the power plant, you have the equipment, you just need to drop a Bitcoin mine in. So that's one that we haven't got as much traction. I was hoping, um, but it's a huge win too. Like there's, there's so many, uh, so many different applications just in oil field, like for this stuff. Yeah. And then and beyond that too, like getting to actual mineral rights owners is something that we're exploring. We're talking to a lot of mineral rights owners who, instead of getting a 12 and a half percent royalty check. So the way, what Steve was describing earlier, basically land owners will lease the land to operators who pull the oil out and sell it to market and they get 87.5% of the revenue and they give 12.5% royalty check to the person that owns the land. That's one way they can do it. The other way they can do it is take the gas in kind. Um, so instead of getting a royalty check, they can say, hey, give me 12.5% of the gas that's moving through this pipeline and give it to me and I'll, I'll do something with it. And you could mine Bitcoin with that and when you compare it to the prices you get for selling it to the grid, um, we've back tested the data and, and Bitcoin mining is more profitable consistently, uh, especially if you're using uh, top of the line hardware. Right. Cause that, that was going to be one of the questions. It's just like, if people have an opportunity to sell their excess, the ability to generate power to the grid versus um, mining Bitcoin, I can get why, that might be a <clears throat> more nuanced conversation at least, I guess. But if you're just talking about taking waste gas or something that's stranded and allowing them to generate revenue from it by plopping in, you know, a mining unit or one, you know, of the nature of the kind that you guys, your companies make, like, I'm, I guess what I, the question is, what is the response when you articulate that this is possible to the people that you're selling to? Because like my naive brain thinks like if you sat down and told me that you had a solution to this problem that I was having or a, an ability to generate more revenue fairly like hassle free, uh, I'd be pretty enthusiastic about it. Like what, what, what are the responses that, that people that you're talking to about this give you? Like, are they excited? Are, are they concerned? Like what, what's the stumbling block? For us, it's, it's hard to believe for most people They're like what you can do that um yeah a lot of the operators we talk to they're focused on oil like they just want to get the oil to market and the waste gas is like hey whatever um and trying to get them over that hump of like hey this waste gas could be extremely profitable for you and getting them to focus on it like that um is a bit of a hurdle bitcoin education is a hurdle well, these people simply don't understand bitcoin and have some preconceived notions that need to be uh, debunked and um, it's just an education game. But, but again, uh, since March, since the, the shed-ins, people have been more open and we've been having more positive conversations. Yeah. Uh, 
I would say over the years, like at first it was, um, well, complete lack of credibility at the start. Like, uh, I mean, they had nothing to go by. Whereas now if they, you know, if I, it's pretty much, I would say no longer do I go talk to like a new producer we haven't been in front of before where they haven't heard of the idea of like mining Bitcoin on an oil or gas well. Yeah, pretty much. Like everyone in Calgary, Calgary is like the Mecca for Canada. So word spreads pretty quickly there. So it, it didn't take long for word to even spread. Uh, down there in like 2017, 18. But even like when I talk to US clients, everyone seems to know about it now. And now when I say know about it, they don't know the nuances of it. They don't know, okay, like how to maybe, a lot of my time is like, I'm on the phone with them, uh, evaluating their facility and seeing, is this a good application for you? And like going through all that detail stuff. Um, But the credibility is there now. So the now I think generally take it pretty seriously. Um, I'd say a lot of companies now have someone at least high level looking into it. And that's how we get found a lot now. Um, uh, well, people, I guess, find us online, uh, but we get a lot of cold calls now, whereas before I was, I spent two years getting no cold calls. Like it was, it was just like me and me and my guy just doing our best to get the word out there. Um, but right now, I would say the hurdle—the um, hurdle right now—is probably capital. Uh, well, two things. One, like mining right now is very tight. Like um, mining revenue is basically an all-time low per kilowatt hour, so that doesn't help. Um, but I don't think that's really limiting it because we, we're still getting—we're uh, still getting work. What's limiting it probably for us the most is capital, in terms of the producers have no money. Like, you know, some of them do, some of them are really well financed. Like the big guys, of course, they got tons of money, but you know, when COVID hit, when the oil prices went to, went to like, like negative future prices, when there's tons of fear on like where oil, what's going on with oil. And then of course, add to that, like the fear of, you know, the regulatory uncertainty, like in Canada, you know, it, there's been a bit of flip-flopping going on, in, especially in Alberta, on what's going on with the carbon tax. And no one really knows, like, it's, it doesn't even seem even now anyone has a very clear picture of what to expect there because our own, like, Alberta government has been put, pushing against it and, and has been aiming to, like, get rid of it. There's so much uncertainty there. So between that and the fact that most producers are cash-strapped and the cash they do have, like, their shareholders expect them to make incremental reserves, like drill more wells, uh, increase production, lower the cost of production. And, and this kind of stuff does play into that, but it's still a little early for them to take too much risk into it. I think generally, but I guess it depends. Like, uh, some producers are definitely willing to take a bit more risk. Well, what I find is that we have a lot of success with our smaller units because they're more of a bite-sized uh, investment and they can take a small, they can buy a small unit, put it on their site. They get full transparency in how this would operate at scale. And they find an application where it solves a little problem and they try it. And the idea of course is, you know, if this, if this works out well, well, this is how you would scale it up greater. Right. Mm. But uh, capital, I would say at this point it's capital, um, that's why you know, I, I sort of joke, like if we get into like an oil price bull run, okay, where the oil price is booming or a Bitcoin bull run 
or hopefully both. Like I'm just dreaming for the day when we get both. <laughs> like oil, oil has been in a bad spot for a number of years, like since like basically 2014. And all we need is uh, one or the other or both to go up, and this like this industry is going to go insane. So, and when you talk about um, like, is this business model? or the product and service that, that you guys provide, is it conducive to something like, you know, just to make the decision easier for these producers, say like you rent the unit or you install it at zero cost and then you just take, do a profit share or something like that so that it's easier to say yes to. Does anybody do that or is that possible or viable? Yeah, we, so that's one of our, so there, that's another thing too, is like the, it's so raw right now, this particular niche industry mining on oil fields that, it's uh it's uh we're very transparent with our numbers and and the fact that hey we recognize that this is foreign for you and we want to we want to help you we think this solution can really help you out as a producer solve a lot of your problems particularly with flaring um and we think it can be a profitable revenue stream for you in the future uh we also have a thesis that oil gas companies will be some of the biggest miners in the world at some point in the next decade and we we can see that you guys are going to figure out how to do this and at some point in the future and we just want to help you uh, quicken that learning curve and so there are situations in where in which people will just give us gas and then like we'll have to finance our own containers and bring them on and we'll, we'll get to keep uh, a portion of the bitcoin into like a small revenue share but um yeah it, the capital is definitely the problem right now specifically a lot of people don't want to finance it's, it's hard to get financing for the mining hardware at good rates which because it's such a risky asset to hold in your balance sheet where the generators are, are a better hard asset to have and make are a little bit easier to finance but it, yeah it's still trying to thread that needle of uh, working with the producers depending on how much they're willing to invest and then if they don't have the capital finding the capital on our end and, and getting the containers right yeah, I was going to ask, so when you guys are referring to capital, you mean on both sides, like the producers don't necessarily have the capital and you guys don't either. Is that the situation? Uh, I mean, we think we're pretty confident that we can get capital again, but also we're, we're trying to scale. Um, we're trying to scale. We don't want to spread ourselves too thin. And so we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. We don't want to overpromise. That's That's another unfortunate thing that's happened in the mining industry in North America has been a lot of bullshit throughout the years. So we're trying to be extra cautious not to oversell anything and just be completely upfront and as transparent as possible. And, and just again, bite off as much as, as we're able to chew. Um, and the, the conversation around capital on our end are, are getting easier too, as well compared to earlier this year, especially considering Steve, you probably, notice this too with all the well shut-ins to the generator prices have have taken a cut too so that helps bring down um yeah. overall power production costs which makes it a little bit more appealing yeah yeah that is one of the upsides and of course the upside with mining being sort of not as profitable as the asic hardware pricing it gets better too uh, i agree like i've had my financing problems were always at the start um well, certainly even now, actually, like any traditional financing route that we try, like, first of all, my banks, all the banks I worked with, I've worked with, and I still work with won't finance me at all, like, because we're a Bitcoin related company. Really? Not, even not after three years of growth, like every year revenue increasing, profits increasing, 
everything's showing like a good business model, um, they won't finance us. They say all. that outright. It's like, it's because you're involved in Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I'm unapologetic. My website is all about Bitcoin. Whereas you look at some of our competition, they don't even mention it. Right. right. And that's why, like, you don't, I don't blame them because that's why you do it because there's, there's problems in the space. Um, insurance. Uh, as soon as my insurance provider who was giving me my normal insurance on like commercial general uh, liability insurance. And actually at the start, I don't do this anymore, but I used to insure uh, our equipment. Um, that was all fine until they found out we were a Bitcoin company. They, they looked on my website and they said, your rates are going up. So I dropped them and I've tried to find someone else, but I couldn't find as good a rate as I had. Uh, the Canada Revenue Agency, okay, they, they withheld money from us for about eight months now. Money they owed us like in a, in a credit uh, due to like a GST, we export to the states, right? So we don't charge sales tax and we get that back. They didn't give it to back until eight, it was actually last week. They finally let it through. Um, so miners get discriminated against already. And that's one thing I talk about a lot. And I wonder, I think it's going to get maybe worse in the future. I hope not. I hope that things like this micro strategy announcement, you know, big, bigger names, giving it more credibility, you know, us getting more traction, all this will end up being a net positive and we'll see less of this discrimination, but it's, it's very, very much a real thing. And most miners know this already. Like it's very tough to get. Even now, even though I've got financing options now on like when I come up with lease agreements with producers, like rental, we do, like you were talking about, we do other things like rental. We do stuff like, uh, you know, we can put our stuff on there for nothing if they do cer certain things like share, uh, like basically pay us a small rental fee or something like that. But we just do a variety of models, but generally the financing has been tough. You almost have to get it through a private uh, private firms, it seems like. Yeah, and to your point there, Steve. It, that's what I. That's why we've been trying to be more public again uh, about what we're doing, and we're. You've been leading the charge for three years. Like I think, uh, especially, uh, considering all the Bitcoin's boiling the oceans fud out there, and Bitcoin consumes too many too much energy. It's important as miners in North America to get out in front of this and really control the narrative and, and say, hey, this is actually helping uh, clean up waste gas, uh, make oil producers more financially secure, which in turn makes your country uh, more energy independent and the prospects of that uh, brighter. Um, and then one thing we're going to look to hone in on and really uh, use as a benchmark to to sort of prove that we're we're helping the economy here in North America is the energy intensity index and prove that you're getting more economic value per energy unit consumed uh, because of Bitcoin mining. And that's, uh, I think, up to this point, certainly miners have been discriminated against, but it, when you understand and you're this close to what's going on, it's, it's hard to deny that it is a, a net positive and a benefit for economies and, and the energy sector overall. Well, it kind of makes me think of what we said right at the beginning of, you know, a company like MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor being uh, orange pilled by all the content that is coming out by, you know, great content creators and writers and stuff in the space. I mean, maybe it's just a matter of there needs to be more, you know, comms and more content and stuff like that around what you guys do and why it's so beneficial for you know pretty much all parties involved and uh, maybe the narrative will start to change on it 
I know, you know, that's kind of a slow approach, but I'm sure Marty, that's probably some of the work you're doing over at GAM, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the drum I'm trying to beat personally um, when I can, uh, because again, it's, it's a no brainer in my mind. Like it'd be stupid to hinder this industry. Um, It's, it's beneficial again for GDP and energy security, which is some of the top of the, some they're at the top of the list of, of ones for uh, America as a country, particularly um, like why did the shut-ins happen in March? Cause we were beholden to supply fuckery with, with Saudi Arabia and Russia. Like if we're able to create alternative revenue streams to make our producers more profitable, not completely, inoculated from that but it makes it gives us a little bit more leverage against fuckery like that so totally steve weren't you talking a few months ago about i don't know if if you were i don't think you were doing a formal raise but you you had had conversations i think you said something like i talked to a a billionaire who wants to invest but not ideologically aligned so i i said no sort of thing uh well basically this guy i won't name him uh yeah i was joking because like he he called me up. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't doing a raise. He just called me up, and so I took the call. Uh, his his assistant emailed me, asked to set up a call. So I took the call. I was very interested to in see what he wanted. Uh, naturally. Yeah, yeah, naturally billionaire. Right? I don't think I've ever talked to a billionaire. Maybe I have. I just don't <laughs> know it, right? So anyway, he uh, he called me up, and he like he had found my company. I guess he had a similar concept that he wanted to do. He wanted to invest in a company. But he didn't care about the Bitcoin mining thing. He wanted to do like, what do you call it? Edge computing, cloud computing, um, sort of like uh, like probably the biggest name in the space. Like that, what we do is like Crusoe Energy. Like they're they're a competitor, and they they market. I don't know what they do. I know they do some kind of like GPU rig stuff, right? And I don't. I think they're doing some kind of maybe edge computing. I don't, I don't even know what that term means, to be quite honest with you. Like it's something to do with like like CFD, like computational food dynamic, like crunching, like, so you're using GPU rigs, instead of, so instead of mining Bitcoin, you're renting out your, your hardware, uh, GPU rigs and maybe CPUs or FPGAs or something. So a non-Bitcoin mining data center for more of a traditional application and doing that in oil field. And I told the guy, I was like, I, I like, I'm a pretty straight shooter. Like I, I probably could have massaged that and got him interested. Uh, but I just said, look, man, like, I see the, like, I come from oil, like the app, the, the, the value proposition here is Bitcoin mining scales really well to consume energy and it doesn't need very much data and it doesn't need very much overhead. And this is all what we want on oil sites. We, and you don't want the pumper having to be a specialist in like these edge computers and like uh, figuring stuff out on site and like, you know, getting an IT, getting IT out there and figuring shit out. You just want it to, to run and churn and consume energy. And that's what Bitcoin's really good at. So I told a guy, like, I, I don't really see, like I, there's potential there. And I know people have done it or maybe are looking at it. And, and it's even something that I could see at some point in the future, like us branching out into it and doing like doing prototypes. It was like, look, man, that's not what I'm interested in. And, uh, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we, we got asked about that last week, too. And we we're like, no, we, we're not worried about, we're not focused on that at all. And I don't think it's wise to be focused on that 
yet considering the, the upward potential of bitcoin's price appreciation like you should be all focused on that yeah absolutely and it's not like like bitcoin is a long cry from scaling to like actually uh conserving and reducing most of the gas that's being wasted it's, it's not even close like we we need the price to go way higher right um so this whole cloud computing thing like that will net that has no chance in hell of ever capturing all of the waste gas in an oil field however bitcoin actually has a chance in hell of doing that like if the if the bitcoin economy grows big enough and the mining economy is big enough and the rewards are big enough it could actually get there one day maybe i don't know if it'll be in our lifetime or later but one day perhaps but this whole cloud computing it doesn't so it just seems like it's it's more of like uh it's like one of those things it's like, it's a good story it's a good narrative you're you're doing cloud computing and i don't know folding proteins or whatever but it doesn't fucking matter like we're trying to get rid of gas like can not get rid of it or just use it we're trying to use the gas and the bitcoin does it the best yeah um on that note marty you've been talking a lot about you know energy companies are the banks of the future and kind of you know on the point that steve was just making about how big this can scale too and i guess the implications of how uh you know important this service this industry could be can you articulate your thoughts on that for us to discuss yeah and just to be clear this is a theory i have in my head could be wrong could sure, not come sure. to but uh, just to me naturally uh when you compare uh the, the opportunity that steve just laid out with all the gas that could be potentially consumed via Bitcoin mining, if these oil and gas producers own the operations that, that do this mining. And so Bitcoin mining is the way that uh, Bitcoin is distributed to the network and uh, the way blocks are added to the network. And for that, miners get fees that sit on their balance sheet that they can then distribute. And when you compare it to how money is currently distributed to the system via a central bank, uh, these oil producers, if they do become the largest miners in the world, these energy sector, it could be renewable energy producers as well. Um, they replace the, the source of the money distribution, which is the central bank, the Fed window. Um, so I, I just like comparing it to that, to me, that conceptually makes a bit of sense to me. And then especially when you think of a future in which we potentially transition to a Bitcoin standard and everything's priced in Bitcoin um, and uh, people are able to do interesting things. Miners particularly able to do interesting things with um, financing hash rate and stuff like that. And I don't know, just uh, conceptually uh, Bitcoin is made to replace central banks. And if Bitcoin mining is the way that Bitcoin's distributed, the mon new money is distributed um, compared to the Fed window, just like conceptually to me, it makes sense that the, the energy sector producers would would be replacing these central banks as the distributor of the money. I think that's totally right. Like completely logical. Like, uh, well, energy companies are the, they're the upstream end of the economy. Like all the economy, it consumes energy. It starts with the producers and it trickles down the economy. Um, so yeah, I'd say you'll, you'll see Bitcoin miners and it's going to be dominated by the energy industry. Like even, even on the utilities, like, I mean, if you have a hydro dam and like if you're in China and I don't know if they have any private hydro dams, I'm guessing they're all government owned to some degree, but 
I mean, if you have a private power uh, grid or power ability to generate power, uh, why would you even, why would you even bother with a third party? Like just mine it yourself. Like it's so easy at this point and hardware's getting so cheap. So uh, I think we are slowly transitioning to the energy producers are going to dominate Bitcoin mining, uh, across the board. Um, and it's, we're, you know, upstream oil and gas. Like I, I, uh, I'm an oil and gas maximalist, right? Like that's what I joke about, but I am, but it's, uh, we like the oil and gas industry fuels like, and basically the, yeah, the oil and gas energy fuels like basically the entire world, like everything, even all the secondary energy generation methods, uh, like the renewables and stuff, you, you can't manufacture that shit without oil and gas, like generally. So, uh, we're like the upstream part of the entire economy in the oil and gas industry. You're going to see it dominate mining. And I know Marty agrees with that. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, central banking doesn't have a bright future. Banks do. Okay. Make banks might, but central banking doesn't. And 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 when you say something like like, how would those operations stack up to you know these big mining operations that we're seeing popping up in the states? Obviously, China has a legacy of it. Some in northern Canada, Quebec, Labrador. Like, do you think the oil and gas uh, miners of Bitcoin? in the type of way that you, you know that your respective companies provide do you think they outcompete uh, those larger mines oh yeah um like we we did a back of the napkin calculation based off of 2018 flare reports from the eia and we made some assumptions we assumed number one that it was pipeline quality gas which we know is not the case for all the flared gas some is too wet um to be pipeline quality, a lot of it is. Yeah. Um, we, we assumed a, a, a conversion efficiency rate of 33%, which is around where we're seeing with our generators. And then um, the, uh, and we, and so that those were the assumptions that we made and we, we calculated that based off the report numbers from the EIA and um, I think it's CEBI, which is the Cambridge, uh, whatever it's called, they, they basically say that there's probably, Bitcoin miners probably consuming about, I think it's like 8.61 gigawatts of energy right now. Um, so we took that number, those numbers and calculated like, hey, with these assumptions, if Bitcoin miners were to cap and consume all that gas, it, it, the network hash rate would be 7.35 times what it is now. Um, and, and so we think that's actually the right ballpark is like Steve has pointed out too. like a lot of the flaring goes unreported. So we're just oh going off. God, yes. We're just going off reported numbers. That's off reported numbers alone. And if you sort of factor in that all the reported numbers aren't going to be pipeline quality, but then you factor in the unreported numbers. So that's probably like the right ballpark, probably actually a little bit higher. Yeah, I, I did a similar calculation a while back, and I, but I was looking at what price would the Bitcoin, what price would Bitcoin have to be to like make a big dent in the flare gas stuff? And I think it was like two million, like per coin, just to be like, just based on scaling without, without a. I made a bunch of assumptions. Actually, it's on YouTube. It's on that Fidelity uh, Mining Summit. But it was like two million bucks, like Bitcoin would have to be just to even start to make a dent in the into the flare gas. But I mean, you know. Yeah, I get that question like a lot. Like, you know, I've, a lot of people are critical of like oil and gas being the future of mining. And I don't think they see the future very clearly because first of all, like a lot of a lot of these 
projects that we see miners flock to, like the hydro, uh, these projects were massively subsidized by the government. Uh, in Newfoundland, right, like in Labrador, uh, these were su either subsidized by like Muskrat Falls and Labrador were subsidized by the government. Um, hydro in general is subsidized by the government. Um, so that, that subsidy creates this arbitrage opportunity because, well, one, like the, uh, they have all this excess power they can't get rid of. So of course, miners are going to come in, but it's also a very, it's also a very easy application to mine Bitcoin. So like I've heard like sort of anecdotally, I don't have any data, but like even the Chinese, like in the Chinese wet season, uh, over time, their power prices per kilowatt hour are slowly going up a bit because the competition is just getting higher and higher and higher in China for that power. It's such an easy, it's such a low hanging fruit. And once you get, once you get the data centers built out, you know, competition just to plug in more mines on those applications. Like I think you're going to see those those uh, those really cheap power sources like in hydro, which has been popularly uh, what miners have flocked to in the past. It's just going to get more expensive. And uh, it's going to take a lot before, you know, that same effect happens in the oil and gas industry. The oil and gas has a bit different challenges, obviously, because you need to build a genset. You need to have a power plant to apply to the, to the energy source. But um, it's going to take immense amount of capital uh, before the oil and gas industry, all these low-hanging fruit options like these, basically, the flare gas, vent gas, underloaded engines, all this stuff gets gets consumed by Bitcoin miners. Like there's so much, so much of it. I have, I have, we have more options than like we can capitalize basically with the amount of every producer has so many different options that we could potentially do a project with. But uh, again, the whole capital constraint issue and, and, and I'll, I'll also the payout, like it's got to pay out and be profitable. But uh, yeah, I see, I don't see, I don't see, uh, I would, Bet, well, I have bet everything on the oil and gas industry is going to be dominate this industry on in the future, right? The uh, the underutilized genset opportunity is one that like blew my mind. It's, Holy shit! Like these, um, what is it? Three three hundred fifty kilowatt gensets could only be consuming two hundred fifty kilowatts. You can use that hundred leftover that's not being utilized to mine Bitcoin. Like, it, oh man, it's it, crazy, it, and the efficiencies get so granular; it's mind blowing. Uh, and you know, I, I've, there's cases where like guys, I got these monster gens, like one megawatt, two megawatt gens on these gas plants, like I was mentioning. And if throughput is down, right? Like if the facility is no longer consuming as much power as what it was sized for because the oil patch went to shit, like in prices, right? Now throughput's down. Now you have these engines running at partial load. They're already running load banks. Like they're like load banks is common in oil field. Like, so uh, load bank is just basically a big box of resistors. Like you send the power to the resistors to create heat and you do that to keep the engine loaded. Cause if you run the engine at low load, like let's say it's a one megawatt gen set and you're only running it at 15% load. If it's like reciprocating engine, you're going to have head swings. You're going to have to do on that thing all the time. Like, uh, based on something to do with, uh, I think it's carbon buildup based on how a combustion process works at low load. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but it's, it's costly maintenance. So like, throwing a load bank in there, even just wasting the gas and the energy is still profitable for them because they have to keep their engines healthy. And it's such an easy sell, or it should be, just to swap that load bank out with a Bitcoin mine, which is a smart load bank. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess the genesis of my question was like, will this form of mining continue to be economically viable into the future with more efficient, large scale operations? But I guess what you guys just kind of said is like, it'll probably continue to compete even better with the legacy mining operations because there's so many options for oil and uh, oil and gas producers to monetize waste or existing operations uh, through Bitcoin mining that like is, am I hearing this correctly? Like you guys think that maybe the the majority of Bitcoin mining will move to this, this type of mining? Well, I I think so. Um, And and also remember like a lot of grids are fueled by fossil fuels, like natural gas, power plants, if not coal, coal is getting obviously out of favor, but a lot of coal is switching over to natural gas. Um, Yeah. Even I don't know exactly what's going on in like Texas, like those Texas ERCOT system, everyone's been talking about, but I'm sure some of it is fed by fossil fuels and you, you always pay more downstream. Okay. The further you are downstream from the source, you always pay more. So, I mean, I know that I know in Texas too, with this, the huge amount of capital being sunk into like, so, uh, not solar wind, I think has created, uh, periods where, you know, of real, very cheap power where I, I know of several different mining outfits that have been targeting that application. I don't know, Marty, if you know anyone that's been very successful down there, but I know like even uh, storms, your partner there, uh, was targeting the wind stuff. And I see that as obviously being a, a great application for Bitcoin as well. But I don't know, like, I, I think a lot of these grids are fed by like a lot of these guys with cheap power, they're fed by like natural gas, like, you're going to get cheaper natural gas further upstream. Yeah. And everybody we we speak with out in the field that they don't think natural gas price is going to rise considerably, like the, the amount of supply that's hitting the market, especially when you consider that flare can now be consumable via Bitcoin mining. It's just, it's, uh, we think the, the opportunity to mine cheaply on these, um, properties is going to be pretty consistent to the foreseeable future. Have you guys talked to any large power generators? Like Steve, you mentioned Muskrat Falls, uh, here in Newfoundland. <clears throat> it's a large hydro dam project, um, hi- heavily subsidized by the government. If if not completely, um, way, way over budget by like two or three X, I think something like that. Um, and lots of excess capacity, et cetera, et cetera. Like, do you guys focus exclusively on smaller producers right now? Cause that's obviously how you've designed your products or have you had conversations with just people in general that have a whack of extra excess uh, power and looking for something to do with it? Well, for us, um, I've always focused on oil and gas because even by the time I got into this thing in like 2016 was when I was really planning my business. And even back then, like everybody was already like make, pitching grid operators and, and trying to get in on cheap power, getting located next to substations, et cetera. Like, especially in all the hydro, like obviously in 2017, there was a huge, uh, at least in Canada, in uh, Quebec, there was a huge uh, flocking of miners to Quebec and before they put like moratorium on things. Um, right now, like as a supplier of data centers, like so I, I position my business to be like we're a supplier first and foremost. 
like I'm starting to look into supplying grid miners and I don't know if you can hear me. It seems like my mic is no, cutting out. Okay. Um, I'm starting to look at uh, maybe supplying and targeting more of the grid guys as well because our stuff is still quite suitable for that. Um, and being from Newfoundland, like I actually have a friend that we're looking at maybe putting a proposal together um, because Newfoundland is like Newfoundland has this famous uh, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador has this famous like widely considered like one of the worst contracts in Canadian history. Uh, They're selling power to Quebec. Quebec basically back in the day, Quebec financed this hydro dam, Churchill Falls. And and at least they, well, Newfoundland made a bad decision to lock the power rate in over the entirety of the contract without accounting for inflation. And so now they're selling Quebec's power at 0.2, what is it? It's like 0.2 cents, I think, or 0.02 cents per kilowatt hour. And it's a Did hundred you, year contract. Yeah, it's up in like 2049 or <laughs> 2069 or something. It's horrible, it's horrible. And I mean, so the, there's not much revenue being, or if any really, even covering op costs on that place. So and, stupid. Yeah. And it's, so, I mean, it's, to me, it's a no brainer for like a province like that, like my home province in Newfoundland to really take this seriously and do everything they can to attract Bitcoin miners into the province. If, even if it only means that, even if only, even if they only get 0.4 cents, like if it's double 0.2 cents, like whatever, whatever they have to do. Like, so yeah, I've been thinking about that too. And, you know, I'm not <clears throat> connected to the industry at all, but, you know, out of uh, my love for my, uh, my home province and knowing the situation that they're heading into, you know, macroeconomic wise, I would love if uh, they had a little bit of an open mind and, um, you know, had a look at this stuff and looked at the options available to them. Cause I think there might be some intriguing ones there. Yeah. Uh, um, are you guys ready? If like, you know, Steve, you mentioned if oil moons or if Bitcoin moons are both like, are, are you guys ready for a, a dramatic increase in demand? Like, is that something you can scale up quickly? Are you, you know, are, are your processes and your product and service ready for that? Like, cause you know, gradually then suddenly. Yeah. Like, who the hell knows? Yeah. We could scale up our containers. Just, um, a matter of whether or not the uh, the hardware, the ASIC manufacturers can keep up with demand at this point, right? What's going on with the manufacturers? There's no, like, there's, is there any, anything available right now? Yeah, there's stuff available. Um, the Bitmain's in a bit of trouble. Uh, we're very happy uh, at Great American Mining that we made a strategic decision to go with MicroBT and their What's Miner ASICs. Um, the the situation at Bitmain is not looking good. It seems like uh, Jihan and uh, McCree are, have separated and one is holding the chip manufacturing and one is holding the ASIC uh, construction part and they're not cooperating with each other. So that's delayed a lot of, um, a lot of uh, orders for Bitmain S17s and S19s particularly. And then on top of that, they lost their lead chip designer, the S9 too. Um, MicroBT, the, the gentleman who started MicroBT designed the S9, and um, I don't probably because of that, I would contribute it to that. The S17s and S19s have had uh, much higher failure rates than the S, S9s did, while 
the micro BT M20Ss, M30Ss, M30S Plus have not had anywhere near the, the failure rate. Um, so yeah, right now it's like, we're hoping that micro BT can, can up production because uh, we do think demand is going to increase significantly. I wouldn't touch me with a 10 foot pole right now, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, that's all I hear. Like I haven't bought, I haven't bought new Bitmain gear myself, but I've had a couple clients that did and they've had, they've been burned with failures pretty, pretty bad too. Like over 50% failure rate. Uh, it's untenable. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, I don't know. Bitmain is obviously going through that internal struggle. So it's, it's, there's just red flags everywhere. I think anyone would be crazy to buy new Bitmain gear until they demonstrate that they can be a good supplier again. And honestly, I don't think they're, I don't, I would never even qualify them as a good supplier. Um, they always had sort of, I would call poor quality. Like even, even back when S9s were the thing, like they were, it was known that like at least 5% of your, your new hardware would be fail out of the box. Like that was common. Uh, they're just, and then of course all the, drama over the years like not accepting bitcoin as payment and going for bitcoin cash and stuff like you'd be crazy to talk to them about like supplying you harder right now but it seems i agree with marty i think if if i was uh i i basically recommend to anyone that wants new like um definitely go with micro bt right now um and i think reliability is important like i think this industry has got to get better at building more reliable hardware like not having as much quality problems out of the box you know, just easier, like better means to replace like faulty gear and stuff and just having that. I think it'll get there. It's just probably a thing. It's such a new industry. Um, but it, it does seem like it does seem almost like there is a supply problem right now. Um, some people that know a lot more about it than me have been talking about um, just not getting uh, like like my even micro BT, like not getting as much um, allocation at the foundries like for chips. I don't know if you heard, you've been hearing that Marty. Like that's what I've, that's what we've heard on, I think in some of the groups, me and Marty are in, I've heard that and I've heard that rumors elsewhere. So uh, it's sort of weird right now. Um, you think, you'd think that if you look at the hash rate, it's actually been pretty flat like over the last while. It's not been, it's been going up, but it's, and we're at close to all time. We're at basically all time highs, but it's not been going up like it has been in the past. And I, I just don't believe that these guys are selling out like crazy. I think it's just a supply problem. Like they, uh, yeah, it's, it needs to get better. I think cause pricing needs to come back to earth too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure like all new orders, like pre-orders are sold out until like next June or something like that for micro BT. Um, you can still get, hardware that's already out there on the market but yeah it is getting scarcer and to speak to reliability of the micro to the what's miners like we've been running in oil fields for almost a year now we haven't had one failure um so these machines are beast uh and we and i, I think i heard something about um micro bt trying to like dissolve themselves out and redomicile themselves outside of china which would actually be really bullish um but yeah, the way, like the, the time on the foundry floor is very important and that rumor is swirling around, but hopefully the price of Bitcoin 
recovers or starts rallying and changes that reality. Um, yeah, because it is interesting. It would suck to to have a bunch of demand from these producers and the uh, the hardware supply chain to sort of sputter and not be able to keep up with demand. So that's seeming like the most likely bottleneck right now. It's just the hardware. Like if you guys got a surge in demand. Yeah, um, but we're confident. We and that's why we we tell producers like, and we're very methodical about how we scale up. We, again, we don't want to over deliver, take on a bunch of contracts and not be able to get hardware. So we're going to do things when we're confident we can, we can fill our containers with miners. What do you guys, you had something, Steve? Oh, no. What do you guys make of the, uh, the hash rate right now? Like both from a business perspective, uh, how you, like how you frame it with your clients and just as Bitcoiners, what do you make of it? I, I watch the hash rate like a trader watches the price. Like I'm, addi- <laughs> I'm, a, I'm addicted to it, and I make I make all kinds of stupid comments, like tweets about it, just because it's fun. But like, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm always watching. Like recently, it's been pumping like crazy, um, or at least block times have been very quick. And so it's always like, you know, concerning. It's like, oh, is it going to jump a lot this this adjustment period? And you're sort of wondering because it, it has a material impact because, uh, you know, all my clients are, they're now watching it too. Like, just like they watch the oil price. Like they want to see what are their rigs earning them and they're wanting to know where it's going. And I mean, what I found the most surprising was how, well, really how high the hash rate has stayed. Like, to be quite honest, like uh, after the, after the halving, and it, it corrected down a bit, but then it just very quickly recovered and it's still extremely high uh, for what I would expect when you look at just what the hash is worth. Like if you, cause you can allocate a value for the hash based on how much revenue is, is being earned. And it's not that great. Like, and, and I, I just know, I know of a lot of miners like over the years who had power costs that would barely even be uh, affordable, even with like, the newest gear, like with like M30s and stuff. And so I'm sure a lot of those guys are, are now out of business, but um, it sort of boggles my mind actually, like where all this money is coming from when things, people must just be, you know, speculating immensely on where the price is going and where the revenue per kilowatt hour is going or revenue per hash. Cause, uh, I, yeah, I just like even a lot of these really cream the crop grid mines. Like, man, they're not making any money at these rates. Like, and, you know, they have to. They're forced to upgrade computers, and you know, if their hardware, the hardware depreciation, if things don't get better, is just going to kill them. Yeah, I would assume that people are speculating on on price appreciation <laughs> as well in hauling. Actually, we've we've run like that's why that's why when you become a miner, you're sort of like. You're trying to rein people in on the on the like on the the bullish memes and like the the the, the price going to the moon and like uh, that maybe that's what has always made me try like I, I never have the same expectations or the same uh, euphoria as people do when the price goes up like I, I have euphoria when the hash rate goes down that's like when I'm like yeah you know like yeah. Yeah, no, we're looking at it now, like 522 blocks away from the next retarget, which will be an 11% uh, increase, which is pretty insane uh, at these levels. And yeah, I think, uh, well, to speak to like the holding strategy, particularly, 
uh, for gas miners, for, for miners uh, mining off waste gas or even mineral rights owners that get their royalty checks selling to, to Henry Hub pipeline down um, down the Permian. Like we've run the numbers. Like if you were to like do like a, a blended hodl and sell for OPEX strategy, it's much more profitable than selling the gas to, to a pipeline. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that's the reason why hash rate is where it is now, but uh, the hodl strategy from a miner perspective may, may be more popular if gas right. mining becomes more, more predominant. Right. Do you think people are just front running the stock to flow? It's become so pervasive and uh, you know, so much hopium around the stock to flow that this, this, is, this is what someone comes in and just slams down on their investor's table and says, this is why we want to build a hundred million dollar mine. Well, I know. I know you just triggered Steve. I know. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will say, yeah. all I'll say on this is like stock to flow is like a nice to like look at. It's I hate when people lead with it. Like, look at this chart. This is where Bitcoin's going. Like, it's like, hey, up to this point, it has followed this model and it is looking like it could continue to. But like, I don't, it's a nice to point to. I don't like to lead with it ever. Yeah, I don't think it's, I just see it as like a poor, uh, it's it is what it is like it, it's a model it's predicting what it's predicting but like to use it like i would never be able to go use that and i just know what my my customers would say if i walked into the boardroom and did a presentation on the stock to flow model as why why the price is going where it is and why they should invest in my mind like these people are very rational critical thinkers they they wouldn't like they wouldn't buy into that it's it's there's nothing negative about it like it's not like it's not necessarily even false but you know i have to sell them on okay like why this is good for your facility why it's a good investment it's a portable asset there's no sunk costs like there's all kinds of reasons i can sell them on these things but like to try to sell someone on that like it's it i find like it's the trader types like traders like that shit and i don't know miners like a lot of miners i talk to don't really care for it like it's it's like, it's not really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you guys are, are too rational to, to use that for something like that. I'm just saying like to try to explain this irrational exuberance in the hash rate, like, cause something's gotta be like some people feel the whole price follows hash rate thing. Maybe it's a stock to flow, but why the fuck are people investing so much money in mining right now? You know, they've, obviously they're thinking that it's going to become profitable at some point in the not too distant future. And, you know, the stock to flow model uh, has been a very popular thing passed around uh, to it predict be, some of that. It could even be something like delayed shipments of miners are just getting in and people want to plug them in as quickly as possible. Right. Bitmain's had notorious delays this year. So I could, people have already spent that money and they need to make it back. Um, and plugging their shit in is a way to do that. Yeah. Um, well guys, uh, we're bumping up on 90 minutes here and, uh, I want to be respectful of your time and let you guys go, but is there anything, uh, that we haven't touched on that you guys are either super excited about, or you think it's important to, for people to be considering about this or, you know, unique bits of information that people can chew on? Like, is there anything that we, we haven't touched that we should? I think just echo and really drive home the fact that this application can do incredible things for the energy sector and the sovereignty of North America specifically. Um, and not only that, it can be applied globally if you if you can figure it out in other areas of the world that produce this. And that would lead to a much 
much more anti-fragile world, in my opinion. Um, countries less beholden to other countries doing other things with supply of oil and gas. And, um, and again, to drive home the fact that this creates very granular efficiencies that are mind-blowing, like especially in a, in a time and age where climate change is like a huge, is a huge um, contentious uh, topic. I think this is a really beautiful story and narrative to say, hey, we're actually gonna help this and let's be as efficient as possible as we can. Um, and Bitcoin mining provides the, the avenue to do all that. Preach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I just uh, mirror all that. Like oil and gas producers just have a pretty tough time having to deal with a lot of bullshit, um, FUD in society about what they do. Um, you know, I could go on, I could have do a whole nother podcast on this, but like, uh, it's good. I think it's, you know, Bitcoin and applying the whole Bitcoin money thing to oil field is going to be great, uh, to show how oil field producers can operate more efficiently and like conserve more of the, the energy they're producing. And, uh, there's really like, uh, I honestly don't <clears throat> think there's any application for, for spending. You cannot spend capital any, in any other way and be, and do more for, even though while I don't really care for this whole thing, like carbon emissions reduction than you can by applying it in oil field. So, uh, yeah, people, uh, should pay, keep paying attention. It's going to get bigger. Steve, so, how do you, Steve, how do you become carbon neutral? Yo, ask that to safe, <laughs> ask that to safe. <laughs> you you got to kill yourself. Apparently <laughs> not my words, not my words. Well, uh, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. I think this is, uh, such an interesting industry to, uh, to watch and for you guys to be a part of and building out. So uh, I guess thank yous are in order for you guys doing, doing that work because uh, I think there's going to be a lot of benefit to be derived from it. Uh, destinations that you guys want to send people if they want to check you guys out or the companies learn more, hit you up, that sort of thing? Uh, my website's upstreamdata.ca. And we're uh, gam.ai is our website. And we've been doing weekly web webinars catered towards oil and gas producers that want to learn more about how they can utilize Bitcoin mining to be more efficient with their operations. So if you're in the oil and gas industry and you want to learn more, go to our website and we'll email you with a webinar invite. Nice. Many people attending those? Uh, I think the highest has been like 15 at a time. It's been sort of under the radar. It's just been, uh, we've, I mean, we've been having a lot of calls and instead of having 10 calls a week, let's just have a webinar. And right have a Q and a with it. Sick. All right, boys. Well, look, I appreciate the time and uh, good luck on uh, in future endeavors. I'm sure we'll talk again uh, in the not too distant future. Thank you, Thanks John. for having us, John. All right. See you guys. See ya. See ya.